You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Thank you, Jordan, and thank you, band, for leading us in that time of worship, for reminding us that our God has done great things, and because the blood of Christ, we're set free. Um, we're going to talk about that freedom some more this morning. I'm excited about that. Um, if I've not had the chance to meet you, my name is James Valet. Um, I served as the discipleship pastor here at Redeemer, and uh, I recently completed the church planting residency program that the Redeemer Network uh, puts on or offers. And so uh, what that means is that, uh, Lord willing, me and uh, about five other families from uh, Redeemer Midland are moving to Dripping Springs, Texas, the first week of June to plant a gospel-centered missional church there, and uh, we're excited about that. It's a bittersweet season for us. Um, Thank you. Um, Midland is my home uh, for 27 of the 37 years that I've been alive. Uh, I've lived in Midland, so it's it's hard to leave, and uh, it's certainly hard to leave all of the dear friends that we have um, here in Midland and in this city. We, uh, we love you guys. And so while it is a bittersweet season, uh, we're excited about it. We're excited about the work that God has called us to there. And I'm excited to get to open up God's word with you here at Redeemer Midland again. So if you brought your Bibles, would you turn to Romans chapter 14 with me? Also, if you're joining us on the live stream, I want to welcome you. We're glad that you're able to join us. I know a few Dripping Springs folks are joining us on the live stream. So welcome to you. Uh, can't wait to have whoever's joining us on the live stream gather here with us in public. Uh, or in person, and I can't wait to gather with you there in Dripping Springs as well. Uh, So we're going to look at Romans chapter 14 this morning. We're going to be finishing up this chapter, and basically what Romans 14 is, is it's Paul giving this church in Rome a very practical way that they can apply the gospel to a problem that they're having in their church. Uh, So a, a very practical way that they can obey the law of love, fulfill the law of love that he talked about in Romans 13. So in Romans 14, he says, here's this problem, and here's a very practical way that the gospel speaks to this problem in a way that you can walk in love and be obedient to God and solve this problem uh, through the gospel. So last week, Pastor Jason preached on verses 1 through 12 and covered the reality that within the church, there are believers believed in Jesus who are weak in conscience or weak in faith. He calls them weaker brethren. Uh, There's also within the church, stronger brethren, people who are strong in the faith or strong in conscience. And the problem was, the result of it was that these two groups were casting judgment on one another, which led to division in the church. The weak in conscience were making everything a salvation issue and and casting judgment on the strong for that. And the strong were shrugging their shoulders and saying, I don't care what you think, I'm free in Christ uh, to do whatever I want. Casting judgment back and really failing to walk in love towards their weaker brothers in Christ. Romans 14, the beginning of it, the instruction is mainly aimed towards the weak in conscience. Saying stop judging one another. Stop judging your brother because they do or don't do X that's not commanded or forbidden in Scripture. And I believe in our passage today, he aims most of his instruction towards those who are strong in conscience or strong in the faith. 
And uh, I'll, I'll tease out a little bit more later what it means to be weak and what it means to be strong and wh what Paul was talking to and how that translates today. But the main point of the passage and the main point of this sermon is this. If you remember anything, remember this. Enjoy your freedom in Christ, but don't flaunt it. Love your neighbor more than you love your freedom. It's the main point of the passage that I believe we're going to look at today. Growing up, I played sports. I've talked about this often. I love sports. They're very important in our family, very important in my life. I love football particularly. Um, I still love to watch sports whenever I have the chance, particularly football, which happens to be during hunting season, so that has waned over the years. Uh, but I love to watch football, and I'm, I'm, unash I'm an unashamed Dallas Cowboy fan. Love the Cowboys. Amen, right? I hear some Cowboys fans out there. Uh, I love the Dallas Cowboys. I've loved them through thick and thin. But I cannot stand to watch Ezekiel Elliott play football. I love Ezekiel Elliott. He is, he's a phenomenally talented athlete. He is good, and he knows it. And anytime he makes a good or even a decent run, he does that uh, eating a bowl of cereal or soup thing, like he's just eating up the defense. It's got to be cereal. If it was soup, it'd be burning him. So I'm assuming he's just eating up the defense like cereal. Um, and it's just arrogant. And I just, I wish he would just stop. Um, I'm, I prefer much, I, I enjoy watching a player like Darren Woodson much more. If, you, if you've been a Cowboys fan, uh, if you were a Cowboys fan in the 90s, you know who Darren Woodson was. He was a phenomenal athlete for the Dallas Cowboys. He was probably the best free safety they've ever had. He was 6'1", 220 pounds, and ran a 4'3", 840. Uh, and he was just an extremely gifted, talented football player. And he was humble. He would make a bone-crushing tackle, stopping a tailback or a fullback dead in their tracks. And he'd help him up, and then he'd trot back to the huddle. And his teammates said about him, he was the same person on the field as he was off the field. They said in the locker room, he was proof that character mattered. It's like, I love that. He, Ezekiel Elliott is good. He has his talents and he enjoys them and he flaunts them. Right? Darren Woodson was good. He had his talents and he enjoyed them, but he didn't flaunt them. And it was much more attractive Right? And you can take that and you can apply that to anything. You can apply that to money. Right? There's some people who love money, who've been blessed with money, and they want you to know how much money they have by the frequency that they talk about it, by how they talk about it, and the things that they buy. They know that, that they have it, they love it, they enjoy it, and they flaunt it. And the same is true on the other side. You could meet a billionaire in this room this morning, and you may never know it. They have their money, they enjoy it, and they probably use it to bless others, but they don't flaunt it. I believe that's what Paul's getting at in this passage when he instructs this, we just sang about, our chains are gone, we're free in Christ. Yes, he says, but don't flaunt your freedom. He agrees with those who are strong. Over and over again in this passage, we're gonna see Paul say, the, strong, the stronger brethren, you're actually right. You're theologically accurate. You've got it right, but you're not walking in love. You understand your freedom in Christ, but you're flaunting it. And if you're hurting your brother and sister in Christ by exercising your freedom, then you should love your neighbor enough uh, to be willing to set your freedoms aside for their good. So that's kind, of, that's kind of where we're going. Let's read our passage. Romans chapter 14, I had you turn there earlier. Let's read verses 13 through 23. Enjoy your freedoms in Christ but don't flaunt them. Love your neighbor more than your freedoms. 
This is what Paul says in verses 13 through 23. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for the one who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, your freedoms, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. And whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm excited to dive into it this morning. I've got three points. They're fairly brief. Um, and then uh, and, and, and we're going to talk about how we can apply and live these out here today. So the, the three points are pursue growth, protect peace in the church, and prioritize the gospel. Pursue growth, protect peace, prioritize the gospel, and enjoy your freedoms and don't flaunt them. If you're doing these things, we'll be enjoying our freedoms, not flaunting them. We'll be loving our neighbor more than our freedom. So let's look at number one, pursue growth. He says some things to both the weak and the strong in this passage, but like I said, I think it's mainly aimed towards the strong. But in verses, if you look at verses 13 and 14, and, and in verse 20, we're gonna see that Paul wants both the weak and the strong brothers and sisters in Christ to grow, pursue growth. If you're weak in your conscience, Pursue to have your conscience informed. Get into the word of God and learn what God forbids and what God commands so that your conscience is informed by the word of God. Grow. If you're strong, you're still casting judgment and shrugging your shoulders at the weaker brother, so grow up. Cut it out. Pursue growth. Pursue growth to both. He says, that rhymed. I did not mean for that to rhyme. Romans 14, 13 and 15 says this, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Grow up. Stop passing judgment on people. Grow out of that. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of the brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is, in clean, is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Grow to understand this, that you're free to do it, but you're not free to do it if it's causing your brother to stumble. And then verse 20 says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God, and yet everything is indeed clean. So it's interesting, as I mentioned, Paul affirms that the strong are right. He says you're theologically correct. Everything that is not commanded or everything that is not forbidden in scripture, 
is clean, and you're free to partake of it. But you still need to grow up and stop treading over the weak. To the strong, he would say that. And Paul would also love to see the weak grow in their understanding of the gospel. Understand that our chains are gone. We're free in Christ. Anything that God does not command or forbid, we're free to enjoy. It's part of God's good creation. He says, do not pass judgment on one another to the weak. Stop judging the strong for what they're doing. He says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just saying this is my opinion about these things. Saying like, I know and I'm persuaded that nothing is unclean in and of itself. He's talking about food and drink here. We're going to get into that in a minute. The weaker and the stronger brothers. So he says, stop judging them for partaking of those things. Grow, pursue growth, and see that the strong are actually right. Let me take a second to elaborate on the strong and the weak that Paul's addressing in his day. First, the weak, the weaker brothers. They were likely newly converted Jews who grew up their whole lives thinking it was sinful and unclean to eat certain meats or to drink certain wines or to drink any wine at all. And so the gospel of justification by faith, they're having a very hard time understanding that Jesus has declared all foods clean. So they'd see their Gentile brother um, eating a meat, bacon, um, or drinking some wine, and they would say, you're not saved because you're doing these things. The Old Testament teaches us that those things are unclean, and you're not saved because of that. That's what it looked like in Paul's day in the church in Rome. Jesus and the New Testament authors clearly explain that this position is wrong. Uh, It's a hypersensitive, uninformed conscience. It's not informed by the gospel. The reality that we're justified by grace through faith in Christ alone means that we're saved because we're in Christ, not because we're abstaining from certain things or obeying certain rules. So he's saying the weaker brothers, you're wrong about this issue. We're free in Christ to enjoy the things that are not explicitly sinful in God's creation, like meat and wine, specifically what he's talking about there. And today, in our circles today, it shows itself like this. You're not a Christian if you don't preach from the King James Version Bible only. You're not a Christian if your wife wears jeans to church. You're not a Christian if you don't read your Bible this many days a week. There's no way you can be a Christian if you don't do that. You're not a Christian if you haven't memorized Romans 9. You're not a Christian if you're a Calvinist or if you're not a Calvinist. You're not a Christian if you like Bethel songs. You're not a Christian if you don't homeschool your kids. This is what the weaker conscience looks like in today's world. And if that's you, I would invite you to ask yourself, take an honest look at your heart and say, is that me? Am I casting judgment on people, the salvation of their souls, because of these issues, issues like this? that are not commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. And if that's you and God showing you that, praise God. Heed Paul's advice here. Listen to what he says. Pursue growth in your understanding of these things. Pursue growth to know what God commands and God forbids. Grow in your understanding of the major issues and the minor issues. And don't judge your brother if he eats bacon. That's what Paul would say. To the strong... The stronger brothers, these were likely newly converted Gentiles who grew up their whole lives eating all sorts of meats and drinking all sorts of wines, and so they had no problem understanding this gospel of justification by faith alone, overwhelmed by the grace that God has poured out, 
poured out on them, saving them from their pagan idolatry and saying, but you can still eat meat and drink wine. And so they likely worked on the Sabbath and enjoyed meat, bacon, and enjoyed a glass of wine with their neighbor. And their consciences were not convicted by it because they understood the gospel. They were stronger in their understanding of the gospel. Their consciences were more informed by the gospel. And so they were right, but they were not walking in love. They were failing to walk in love because when their weaker brothers would point this issue out, instead of trying to help them walk through this together and protect peace, which we're gonna talk about next, they would just shrug their shoulders and say, I'm gonna eat bacon and drink wine anyways, and I don't care what you think. You're not a Christian because you don't understand the gospel as well as I do. I'm gonna do what I want. I'm free in Christ. In our circles today, this could be, I mean, you could take alcohol as an example. The Christian who understands he's free to enjoy alcohol on occasion, who's free to fly to Hawaii to play golf, nothing inherently wrong with that. Free to own multiple houses, nothing inherently wrong with that. Free to dress casual at church and preach out of the ESV. Free to homeschool your kids or send them to public school. Free to vaccinate them, free to not vaccinate them. Free to exercise your freedom of speech. But what are you not free to do? What is this freedom not? This freedom is not freedom to sin. It's not freedom to get drunk. It's not freedom to be a glutton. It's not freedom to exercise your freedom of speech to bash someone on social media who disagrees with you, who supposedly has that same freedom of speech. That's what Paul says in verse 15. You're no longer walking in love if you're using your freedoms in those ways. Again, I want to ask you, look inside your heart. Is this you? I have a gut feeling, as I was thinking about this and preparing for this, that Redeemer Midland has quite a bit of people who'd fall into this category of the strong in conscience and the strong in faith. Not saying you're treading on the weak, but this category of strong in conscience, theologically informed, educated, um, understand the gospel well. There are many in here who do, who do. And praise God for that. But you can have a fat head and a small heart. You can have a fat head and a cold, dead, unsaved heart. Uh, so listen to Paul's advice. Pursue growth. You're strong, but you can still grow stronger. Don't pass judgment on the weak. Don't look down your nose at them as if you're better than them. Grow in your ability to prioritize the gospel over your freedom. So Paul says, both to the weak and the strong, pursue growth. Next, he tells them to pursue peace or protect peace. Protect the unity of the church. What was happening in this church in Rome is that these two groups of people, it was creating unnecessary division in the body of Christ. So Paul calls us to protect peace. Enjoy your freedom in Christ, but don't flaunt it because that's going to create unnecessary division between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Protect peace and unity above all, even over your freedom. We see this in Romans 14, 16 through 19. So do not let you, what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about our freedoms. It's about righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Pursue those things. Again, Paul affirms the strong. He's like, you're right. You're right. Nothing's unclean. He says it several times. But do not flaunt your freedom. You're not free to cause your brother to fall and destroy peace with them. It says it in verse 15. If your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Again, in verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Protect peace within the church. Don't destroy it. If your freedom is stunting the growth of your brother in Christ or causing division in the church, then you should be willing to set your freedom down for the sake of peace. Okay, now I want to take a little side note. It's an interesting side note. If it's truly a freedom... If this thing that you have is truly a freedom, then you will be able to set it down. If you do not have the ability to set it down, then it's not a freedom. You're a slave to it. If you do not have the, if you do not have the ability to set it down, then you are not free. You're a slave to it. I'll give you a personal example. Some of you, uh, if you get an injury, may be able to go to the doctor and be prescribed pain medication. Or if you struggle with anxiety for a season, you may be able to go to the doctor and receive anxiety medication. Some of you may be able to may, may, may suffer from insomnia, and you may be prescribed sleeping medication. That is not a free, there is nothing inherently wrong with that. God does not forbid that or command that. It's a good part of God's creation. Luke was a doctor. The gospel, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was a doctor. This is medicine. This is good. Like, but that is not a freedom that I personally possess. Because of my past and because of my sinful nature that still lives in me, I live in the presence of sin. If I go to the doctor and I get prescribed pain medicine or anxiety medicine or sleeping medicine, it goes straight to my wife because I do not trust myself with it. That you manage this. That's not a freedom that I have. I can't pick it up and set it down. And I, don't, I just don't want to go there. But you may be able to. It may be a freedom that you possess. And it's only a freedom if you can pick it up and set it down. Now, I also want to take a side note from that even, because I know there may be some people in this room who are not yet believers or watching on the live stream who are not yet believers in Jesus, and you are struggling with something in your life that you are unable to set down. There's an addiction that's ruling your life, whether it's an addiction to pornography or substances or money or work or your status, it's something that you just cannot let go of. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ died so that you can be set free from that addiction. So that you can not only be forgiven of your sin, but adopted into God's family as a child of God, and all of those dysfunctions can be made right. Jesus died so that you can be free. Whatever, whatever it is that you can't put down, Jesus invites you to repent. Put those things down. And trust in him and follow him. And let me tell you, um, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one or love the other. You cannot be addicted to sin and serving Christ. You can't be enslaved to sin and following Jesus. 
And let me tell you, from my experience, the 10 years of being under the dominion of sin, sin is a cruel master. So I would plead with you, if that is you in here, repent of that, put that down, see Jesus on the cross, look unto him and be saved and be set free from that addiction and follow him. He is a kind and loving and meek master. So again, that was a side note to the side note. If it's truly a freedom, you'll be able to set it down. You'll have the ability to set it down for the sake of peace. So protect peace within the church. Protect the unity of believers, even if it means you have to set down your freedoms. And understand, setting down your freedoms is not the same thing as giving them up. Okay, he says, he says that in verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. He's not saying you, you have to lose all of those freedoms that you can enjoy. He's saying enjoy your freedoms. Just don't flaunt them. Use discernment and wisdom and recognize when you need to set aside your freedoms to protect peace between your brothers and sisters in Christ. And verse 17 is huge on this. This is what he says. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Again, it's not about our freedoms. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the gospel question for us is not, what freedoms can I exercise? Like, what freedoms can I possibly exercise? How many of them are there? The question for us is like, what can I do that will promote righteousness and peace with this brother in Christ so that we can both enjoy fellowship and the joy of the Holy Spirit? That's the gospel question. Protect peace. I love what Tim Keller says here. I'm going to put this block quote on the screen. One day I'll be smart enough to write something like this, but until then I'm just going to read Tim Keller. So uh, here's what he says. When someone is not clearly forbidden, well, I'm sorry, when something is not clearly forbidden or commanded in Scripture, don't press or loudly display your views and practices on the subject. Keep them to yourself. Now, Paul's not saying you can't give your opinion if you're asked, nor is he saying that you can never make an evaluation. Jesus, after all, Jesus tells us to watch out for false prophets. First John tells us to test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Rather, Paul means that once we recognize that this is a disputable area, there's room for disagreement here. We should mind our own business instead of, instead of insisting that this dispute becomes the whole church's business. Protect peace in the church. Be willing to put aside your freedoms to have your opinions and your views on things that don't really matter for the gospel's sake. So Paul exhorts us to pursue growth and protect peace. And lastly, he calls us to prioritize the gospel. Don't miss that this is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. The weak judging the strong, the strong judging the weak and shrugging their shoulders at them and not caring about them. This is, this is tearing up what God has joined together. It's a gospel problem. The gospel of Jesus brings all believers, weak and strong, together into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. And this behavior, this divisive behavior, tears that apart. So Paul says, prioritize the gospel above everything else. Look at the language he uses in verse 15. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. That's strong language. All of it. Do not destroy. The word means stumble or like press down. And then the other part is strong too. That's a person for whom Christ died. He says it again in verse 20. 
do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Philippians chapter one, he who began a good work in you will see it through until the day of completion. Think about it. The good news is the gospel that Jesus came to save sinners. He was free to stay in heaven. He was free to come to earth and be treated as a king. He was free to demand submission and servitude from, from people on earth. He was free to do all of those things. And he chose to forego his freedoms. And he chose to come as lovingly and patiently and sacrificially. Gave all of that up for us. That's the gospel. And this living is contrary to the gospel. This problem in the church in Rome is contrary to the gospel. To the weak brothers and sisters in Christ, if Christ gave his life for that person sitting next to you that's all churchy and theological and speaks Christianese very well, if Christ died for them, how can you judge them? How can you not love them? To the strong brothers and sisters in Christ, if Christ gave his life for that weaker, less informed person sitting next to you in church, if Christ died for them, can't you prioritize the gospel and put down your freedoms for their sake? Again, I think this passage is largely aimed at the strong. How can you who have experienced such grace and who have such a great understanding of the gospel and your freedom in Christ destroy or stunt the growth of one for whom Christ died. All so that you can exercise your freedom. Brothers, it should not be this way. But all of that, pursue growth, protect peace, prioritize the gospel, this whole problem between the weak and the strong, all of this kind of begs the question of like, okay, what's a practical example of like this today? Like what would this look like today? Or what about situations where we don't know? So I'm just gonna pick alcohol as an example. So James, like what if I'm at Chili's eating my baby back ribs, enjoying a beer, and there's a weaker brother in Christ in there that I don't know, and they see me, eating pork and drinking alcohol, and they judge in their heart like that. There's no way that person's a Christian. I'm not talking to them. Am I sinning? Like, am I putting a stumbling block in front of that brother by living this way? Should I never um, enjoy bourbon or beer in public ever again for the, just because there may be somebody in there who's offended by that? No. I don't think that's what Paul is getting at here at all. Paul, the, the issue that Paul is addressing here was a very public issue in the church in Rome. The weak were, were very public about their judgment of the strong. They were very vocal about all the things that the strong were doing. Uh, they let them know, what you're doing offends me. And the strong were very vocal and public in the way back in the way they were saying, we don't care if it offends you or not, we're free to do it. But I would say that if drinking alcohol in public convinces, con convicts your conscience, then you need to be sensitive to that, and you need to not do it. And verse 23 says, Paul says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you can't do that in faith, you should abstain from it. Also, if you know that your consumption of alcohol is going to cause someone to stumble, you shouldn't do it. It's sin. But what Paul is talking about is a very public thing. So I think the solution to all of this is, again, prioritize the gospel. 
pursue growth, protect peace, and ultimately prioritize the gospel. We should be people that bend over backwards to prioritize the gospel over everything, over all of our little opinions about all the disputable matters. The gospel is what matters most. Should not let that destroy unity in the church. I know that we will, we will not be able to do this perfectly. We cannot do this perfectly. But as much as we can, we should prioritize the gospel and love our neighbor over our freedoms. So pursue growth, protect peace, prioritize the gospel. If we can learn to do this as a church, we can learn to do this as a church family, then we, we, I'm gonna quote Tim Keller again, we will be, as Tim Keller says, this will be a Christian community that is able to exhibit the righteousness, peace, and joy that the Holy Spirit gives to all of the members of the kingdom of God, for which the Lord Jesus died to bring all believers, weak and strong, into. So let us be a church that pursues these things. Enjoy, the, enjoy your freedom in Christ, but don't flaunt it. Like love your neighbor more than your freedom. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you created the heavens and the earth, that you are the, the triune God, as Jordan said in his introduction. God, that you existed perfectly in perfect fellowship with the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit from eternity past and will forever for eternity future. But God, you decided to create us in your image. You decided to reveal yourself to us in your holy word. We just pause and thank you and praise you for that. We thank you for the book of Romans, where Paul not only, where the Holy Spirit through Paul not only gives us this beautiful gospel of justification, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, tells us that we're free in Christ and full of the Holy Spirit. But God, in this, in this one book, you also give us practical examples of how to apply that to our everyday lives. God, I pray that we would all be people, that we would decide individually and as a church body to pursue growth. God, to get into your word, dive into it, and never come up for air. Just continue to immerse ourselves in your words so we know what you command and what you forbid and so that we can live lives that bring glory to your name. God, I pray that there would be peace in this church. I pray that there would not be divisions over political issues and matters of opinion. God, I pray that there'd be unity among the weak and the strong. I pray that ultimately the strong would come alongside the weak and help them to grow and understand their freedoms in Christ. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus most of all. Uh, and we worship you because you're holy and you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. A little, uh, little amen or a clap or something.
It is going to be uh, very bittersweet to uh, to send him and the team off, but uh, nobody's going to miss him more than I am. I'm uh, fairly sure of that. Uh, my name is Jason Hatch. I'm the lead and the teaching pastor here at Redeemer, and uh, often we do different types of responses uh, or different ways that we're responding to uh, the truth that we're learning about uh, each Sunday. Uh, and uh, in a few moments, we're going to respond as we often do by singing. I'm going to invite you to take communion with us uh, by way of response, but I also want to lay before you, especially in light of Romans 14, uh, and just uh, the posture that Jesus took towards us, uh, a posture of serving, and how we're, uh, we're supposed to respond as Christians to serve and to bend towards the needs of each other. Uh, I wanted to lay before you an option to just learn how to respond, uh, and we want to continue to do this as a church, to be an upstream uh, swimming culture, a countercultural people, especially by way of serving. Uh, so you know we're a portable church, and that means it takes a lot of people that have a posture uh, every Sunday of Jesus to serve other people. Uh, it takes upwards of 100 servants every Sunday uh, to to meet all the different needs uh, at Redeemer with the uh, uh, welcome team, with setup, with uh, the band, with uh, connections teams, with all the teachers and the helpers in the kids area. And uh, we, we're going to not stop beating this drum uh, because you know this, the culture we live in is a consumeristic culture. Uh, our culture is designed to consume and to take and to want to show up so that other people serve us and meet our needs. And that is a very, very different culture than the way of Jesus, right? Jesus said that he did not show up to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even in his culture, that was a wildly countercultural idea. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we've got to continually learn to swim against the culture and to fight against uh, the tendency even to want to show up at church so that everybody meets our needs and just, you know, hope everybody shows up to serve. I just want to kind of show up and have my needs met. So you're going to hear this for the next 30 years uh, if uh, you don't like that message trying to uh, push people to serve, then this may not be a good place for you because I'm going to really get on your nerves uh, in the next 20 years calling you to serve. So generically, we, we want to be a people that serve. Uh, specifically at Redeemer, there's a lot of opportunities. And what I just don't want to happen is uh, we have a lot of people that are just serving their hearts out, serving in kids almost every single week, serving with uh, set up and tear down two, three times a month. And then we have a lot of people that are not serving. So we have a tendency, or maybe not a tendency, but perhaps we have this option of some people getting really, really burned out because they're 90% of the work. So here's what I want to present to you uh, to consider. First of all, if you're serving and you're serving often, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Parents with kids and Redeemer kids, they thank you. If you're sitting there that somebody else uh, set up, thank you. If you've had some hot coffee or welcome team, uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you've taken a time out uh, for a season, I would invite you to consider maybe it's time to come back and to find a place to serve. Uh, if you have never served, uh, maybe you're like, you know, I've been around maybe a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years, but you've never helped in the kids area. Uh, you've never helped with setup or with teardown. You've never helped with uh, coffee or anything. I would really highly recommend that you find a place to serve. Uh, we've got many options and many needs, and I wanted to highlight one very specific one. So I'm I'm going to let Elizabeth come up here. This is Elizabeth Spinks. Uh, if you haven't met her, you are missing out. Uh, she's one of our newest uh, staff members here helping with Casey oversee all the Redeemer kids. Uh, she's a fantastic person, fantastic leader, and she's going to let you know about sp some specific needs we have in Redeemer kids. 
Thanks, Jason. And hi, if I haven't met you, um, like Jason said, I'm Elizabeth Spinks, and I'm one of the two uh, directors of Redeemer Kids, along with Casey Davidson. And um, I just, I'm here because, first off, we have the most incredible volunteers. I see a lot of you um, in here right now, but we have a great team of teachers and service helpers and substitutes and greeters that make Redeemer Kids super welcoming and inviting. Um, and as we get into the summer months, we just really need extra help. So we have a lot of people traveling and out of town, and we are looking for specifically um, more substitute teachers for the summer months. Um, so, as you can see, um, well, we don't have the QR code. We'll have it in a minute. But there will be a QR code that you can either use your phone to capture and give us your information if you're interested in helping out. Um, we have about 250 kids each Sunday come through our doors, and it takes 60 volunteers and kids alone to make Redeemer Kids happen. And so um, we're so thankful for those of you who are already serving and who are um, just making it an incredible place for kids to come and learn the gospel. And uh, we just want to invite more of you in to what God is doing there. Um, this week specifically, the memory verse that they are um, reciting and learning is the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that's what you get to do when you are a part of Redeemer Kids. You get to teach the next generation about who God is and how he has called us to live. So we hope many of you will join us um, and just thank you guys so much for your time. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.